This is the Steelers Standard on Steelers Nation Radio and Podcast on Steelers.com. Still a lot to chew on from that Steelers loss to the Minnesota Vikings on Thursday Night Football this week. Week 14 of the NFL season in the books officially, except for Monday Night Football tonight. But for the most part, pretty much done with. The Steelers are 6-6-1. Six, six there are about 855 teams in the NFL that are 7-6 and six right now that are standing in I front of the Steelers. May, it might be. My math might be wrong on that one. But the Steelers are sitting just on the outside looking in of that playoff hunt and that tie to the lions is what's keeping them out of that number seven spot but they fell to six six and one at the hands of the vikings and we're still wrapping up things with that game and i keep coming back to the pat Fryermuth play at the end i you think that's to. a play that's, the one that's fresh in your memory isn't it it's fresh in my memory and i i think it's a play that we can expect pat Fryermuth to make more times than he won't throughout his NFL career. I think that he has shown so much great strides as a rookie and so much productivity as a rookie on this team that I think Pat Fryer is going to be a star in this league. I just think he got beat by an all-pro level safety in Harrison Smith, and I think that's going to happen when he's young and learning. But I think if you had that to do over one more time again, if you had a little more time on the clock and you threw that same exact ball, I wouldn't be shocked if Frymuth comes down with it this time. I mean, let's be honest. Ben made a great read on the ball. He put it exactly where it had to go. I can't even say this time next year. I could even say by by next week, Pat Frymuth is someone who is capable of learning from his mistakes <clears throat> and <laughs> taking those mistakes and using them as stepping stones as progress and i think i like i said i can't even say this time next year but yeah by week 15 against the tennessee titans pat fryermuth if the game is on the line he's making that catch no pat fryermuth is the guy i want to throw to i think mm, maybe deontay but other than that he's the one i want to throw the ball he's to the in the red zone guy he's the, the if we need a big first down that's who i want to throw to a touchdown that's the guy you want to throw the ball to is number 88 he made a great play in the Baltimore game for the two-point conversion. It was a, it was yeah. a little Ben put a little too much air on it. It didn't zip it as hard as he was, as hard as he could have, as he could have done when he was a little bit younger. But Pat Fryermuth knew exactly what he had to do. Just That's, fall right into the end zone. And he makes great catches, like mm-hmm. the catch against the Browns for the touchdown. Right. Uh, his hands are elite, and that's something that I think was underrated for him coming out of college, although he never dropped the ball in the red zone in his entire career at Penn State. He did drop the ball in the red zone in this game against the Vikings. Could but you again, consider that a drop, though? Do they call it a drop, even? I don't well, know. Well, it's, it's the Minnesota... It's the so they probably game, call so it a PBU, a pass breakup, because they, they want to give the more, credit to Harrison credit Smith. To Harrison Smith right. And there's a lot of credit that needs to go to Harrison Smith. Absolutely. That was a hell of a play. And of course. I saw a stat that said after the – it was on Twitter on Saturday morning, I think, that he's graded out to be one of the highest safeties of the past, like, five years in the NFL. Doesn't so shock me. He's one of the elites in this league, so you can't really – get too upset you, you kind of coughed sarcastically into the mic when you said he could learn from his mistakes and grow from this i think yeah, i know that. I, do that i think i know why why did i do that tom do you think there's any real possibility that they bench chase claypool for the tennessee titans game you were talking about it last week as if it needs to be an amendment to the constitution i think and it you does were, you were that passionate i know about it. i think it needs to happen i i, I don't see any because it's o- it's obvious that 
being benched for a series here or there. That's right. It did not do anything. That's what I mean. There's no feeling of I did anything wrong based on just the benching that happened in the Vikings game. And he did respond with some big catches after that point and seemed to wake himself back up. But he immediately blew it at the end with that first down signal. So I, I, I don't see any other way that you can get through to this guy except for you have to stand on the sidelines in your street clothes, and there's not even I, – I can't even be tempted to put you in because I didn't even give you a helmet this week. So I hate that it has come to that point, but I think it's come to that point. My question now is, is there any realistic possibility of that happening with Juju already being hurt and the depth being tested at that wide receiver room pretty much since 19 went down earlier this year? Is it possible – to put 11 down because I mean, hey, you're still right in this playoff race. You're still in the AFC Can North you race. That? I mean, we'll get to I, this. I say, we'll get to this later that. in some of our episodes. But the AFC North, no one wants to win it. No one wants to win that Clearly. division. So you are way alive still for that. I, I don't know if they're gonna have. I don't want to say guts to put him on the bench. I don't know if they're going to necessarily be able to put him on the bench, which is a place you do not want to be stuck in. But I, it's I either it, if, if you put him on the bench, you got Deontay and James Washington, and then Ray Ray. Anthony Miller, Ray Ray McLeod. Like I think without question, if Juju is healthy, you bench him. Yeah. If you have three guys available, I to bet you, he probably wouldn't have gotten back in the game against Minnesota. If Juju that's was very healthy. fair too. I could easily see that happening because Juju can do a lot that Chase Claypool could. He can. He can make those combat catches. He can he can be tough at the line of scrimmage. He can be tough at the goal line. Yeah. Something Chase Claypool cannot do. The one thing Chase Cla- Chase can do better than Juju is make that deep ball. But a big criticism of Chase Claypool is that how long it takes him to finally make that that combat catch in the air. He hasn't been doing it as much as he did in his rookie year. And we know about the ten penalties. Something he did he excelled that in his rookie year was drawing the penalties in for pass interference and now he's being the one called for offensive holding or unnecessary or unsportsmanlike conduct so i think without question if you have one more guy that isn't an anthony miller or Ray McLeod, someone who's even middle of the pack like james washington doesn't have to be juju the Steelers could say yeah, enough is enough you gotta you gotta sit this one out but as it stands, you absolutely have to win this game against the Tennessee Titans. Exactly, you have to. And for more reasons than just one, because of your own standing. But right now, the Titans, yes, they just won against a really bad Jacksonville team. But What's up with everybody trying to say the Titans looked great and looked back? Like, and I know they I'm don't. I'm sorry, who were they playing? That's what I mean. It was weird. The Jaguars just became the second team in in the league this year to be eliminated from the playoffs with that loss. And you're telling me I should be praising Yeah, I, I don't understand one? why that was something that was kind of getting up off the ground on Twitter. I saw something that said on an ESPN highlight, like the Titans were rolled back to form. Like that's they all what, over the Jaguars. That's, they and that's back a to good form? start. I mean, you got to start somewhere, but like, right let's what, pump the brakes. Let's, or three straight losses? let's wait to see how they look like against the Steelers before we say and that. And then you have to consider as well, Tom, the fact that, Indianapolis is surging. So we don't know. Six seed right now. We don't know if the Tennessee Titans are going to win that division. So if you hand the Tennessee Titans a loss, that could help you if the Colts end up winning that division, knocking down the Titans one more peg to the fact 
to the point where they could be eliminated and you could be in the playoffs. And you'd have the tiebreaker over them. So right, with it, the win, it's a good, good point. So, yeah, so I just don't know if it's really feasible to put him on the bench. And I got to be honest with you, that's upsetting a little bit because I get – Because there's – how else are you going to – I mean, you're not going to – You're not going to get through him, to him. Right, you're not – Yeah. You were, you were saying that one uh, type of fine, it's not going to – I mean – Well, yeah, he's not – doing any conduct detrimental to the team at all right now. Right. I mean, it's not... It's pretty detrimental. It's detrimental, but it's not to the point where you can take away a paycheck from them. It's not, you know, breaking the law off the field or something like that, or... It's not faking your vaccination card. Yeah. As far as we know. Exactly. But it is detrimental as far as the on-the-field product Absolutely. is concerned. And you can't keep giving the Steelers these kind of penalties if you're Claypool. These shoot-yourself-in-the-foot 15-yard unsportsmanlike conducts or, oh, I erase a 10-yard play because I lined up over the tackle instead of, you know, I covered somebody who was eligible. You know, It's just these little mental things that are the biggest problem, and that's why it's upsetting to me. Like I said, that it's almost like you can't bench him, and I will, I will understand when the coaching staff doesn't bench him because you need to get wins, but – at some point, you have to think to yourself, is a win more important than trying to establish a way that we're going to go about business here in this in, in, in this locker room and in this young man's career? Because he's got a bright future in the NFL in front of him if he can figure out the on-the-field antics and focus himself to playing football. I mean, every criticism you heard, Ryan Clark, Shannon Sharp, it was all led with he's got the most physical skill set or he's got the most physical talents of anybody in the league. He's tall. He runs routes well. He's strong. He's fast. He can block. Supposedly, he can block really well. Yeah. At least he did in college. He's supposed to be. He's supposed to be. Able that, to. Everybody said that with their criticism. It was, wow, this guy is a specimen, but mentally he is incredibly immature. So. It's not only good for your team's culture to bench him, it, it might be exactly what this young man needs to just kind of really reset things and say, hey, I got to refocus myself. And I don't have to be, you know, Larry Fitzgerald, militaristic, oh, I'm waking up at 6 in the morning and I have a regimented routine and I'm not going to celebrate after it. Like, you don't have to be like that. You just have to know time situation. You have to know when it's appropriate to make the first down signal, when it's not. Like You just have to have a little bit more mental awareness. His awareness rating in, in Madden's got to be, what, like 40, 30 maybe, something down it's there? Be low. you got to get a little bit more mentally mature. And I understand people come out, oh, he's just a kid. Oh, it's just his second year in the league. you got to mature faster when you're in the NFL than your, your average 22, 23-year-old. You gotta just mature faster. It's just the nature of the beast. If you want to have this profession that comes along with the territory, so we've seen him make the catches. We've seen him not make the catches. I have a hypothetical for you. Eric Kendricks has the ability to seal that ball away and just drop yes. it, lose a couple seconds. Veteran play. So say Chase Claypool still does a celebration. Eric Kendricks is not near, and no one on the Vikings has the wherewithal to do what Kendricks did, right? And the Steelers still are having their issues lining up on time. And Chase Claypool still throws a temper tantrum after the ball is spiked at, at Trey Turner. But because of that, that Eric Kendricks maneuver that he made, that, that play on the ball, if you want to call it, whatever he did, say that doesn't happen. And the Steelers have an extra two seconds. And the pathfinder move play is dropped. But they still have one more play. 
and then the touchdown pass is thrown to Chase Claypool and he gets it. What is the narrative? Is it still Chase un, un, unsportsmanlike conduct? The the miss block on third and short. The the first down celebration when you didn't have time to be doing so, but you caught the winning t- or you caught the game potential game tying touchdown pass. What's the narrative there? People because Steelers fans are so well. People bipolar. would want people would want the narrative to not be anything but the game tying touchdown. Well, potential game tying touchdown. They'd still have to get the two point conversion mm-hmm. and maybe leading to a potential win in overtime. But I wouldn't have forgotten that penalty. You wouldn't have forgotten that penalty. Like you, you would know you can't forget something like that. You can't forget that kind of an antic that he did. Like I understand how great plays can erase boneheaded gaffes. Uh, I mean, I think we saw an example of that with Deontay dropping that easy layup deep ball against the Ravens, and then coming back with two straight touchdowns. Uh, in the second half, mm-hmm. I mean, that's how you erase a gaffe like that. And we didn't talk about that drop much after that game. We talked about would we? the two touchdowns. So I understand your, your hypothetical there, but... That's also over a course of a 30 minutes compared to and, 10 seconds. I mean, that's just one gaffe. I mean, Chase Claypool, it's a cacophony sure. of gaffes that have been been committed by him all year long. And it's just reached the end of its road, I think. In my mind, and I'm sure in the coaching staff's mind as well, but like we said, kind of stuck at the point where it's too important of a game to bench him. You got to play him, and you got to just hope that somehow he wakes up and we get the productivity out of him, but not the antics out of him. Because it's been, what, four straight games where I think he's had drawn a penalty uh, and, like and, and not like a you know heat of the moment holding or pass interference on the offense type of penalty. Just a total... Lined up in the covered right. a guy right. on, on sportsmanlike conduct. Like these are all easily fixable mistakes. I'm curious to hear what he has to say, if anything. Oh, we heard him after the post. Well, of it's- course, that's that's immediate. He he wasn't on being he wasn't on Twitter seeing everyone come at him, understanding the the gravity of his mistakes, the 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 number of his mistakes in a single game. I'm I'm curious to know. Because this guy, we we've heard people say he just doesn't care about football. He cares about himself. He has to care about football, right? I mean, you'd you'd assume so. But so it's weird. Guy, it's, I mean, what I'm the point I'm trying to make is it's this odd. Is, we're at the point we can ask the question. He's though. on he's on social media all the time. He's got to be hearing what people are saying about him. Yeah, and he's so, got rabbit ears. And so that was immediately after the game where he was just being Chase Claypool in the moment, like he was all game long. Just instantly reacting in the in the in the wrong way, right? right? Putting the blame on the refs, putting the blame on the Vikings, putting the blame on Trey Turner. Didn't it just was not on 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 Chase Claypool. Now that he's had time, I'm curious what's going to happen during practice this week because obviously the 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 collective media are going to want to speak to him at some point. I don't know at what point that'll happen this week, but it's going to happen, and. I'm curious to know what he's going to be asked and what his response is going to be. Is his response going to change at all? Because you know someone's going to ask him what what was what was going on in your head. Now that you've had time to meddle over it, what was going on in your head? I'm curious to know if his response changes at all. Well, speaking because if it doesn't, then you can expect him to go out there, maybe get another five catches for maybe another 75 yards, maybe a touchdown. But you're not going to be happy because 
it's just going to be a result of him not seeing the fault in his ways and Ben saying, I still need to throw to this guy if I want to win this game. Well, speaking of pondering change, they did some change on the offensive line. It worked against the Ravens. It did not work against the Minnesota Vikings. Najee Harris did have 94 yards on the ground, uh, but the running game was never really dominant, and the protection of Ben Roethlisberger was never worse than Probably it was. Probably at its worst. This season, for sure, Ben being sacked five times, being under pressure a lot in this football game. The story of John LeGlue was a nice one. But you kind of saw quickly why he's been a journeyman his entire career and not really been able to stick at a certain spot. So one good week with LeGlue, one bad week with LeGlue. I really wonder if you stick with him against the Titans, you might not have a choice because of the injury to Dotson, and he might be your only viable option there. I, I don't know. I know that the guy next to him in Kendrick Green is having a lot of trouble himself at the center position. And he's a young guard at Illinois trying to make the transition to a new position in the NFL, a third-round draft pick that was thrown in basically since day one as the starter. I, I know he had to technically earn that starting spot, but it was pretty much the writing on the wall that he was going to end up being the starting center come when the game started to, to actually matter. So he still hasn't really been able to establish himself as – a good snapper of the football to begin with, which is 101 stuff, and he gets blown back into the pocket a lot and just hasn't been absolutely the best player we thought he could be as a rookie. And maybe that was unfair to have those expectations of him, being such a young player making that transition. But I'm starting to ponder, do you put B.J. Finney in there at center just because he at least can snap the ball better than Kendrick Green can? Do you put B.J. Finney at guard instead of LeGlue. They're in a lot of trouble on that offensive line, and I think they've been trying to hope that it kind of clicks throughout the season, and now we're getting into week 15, and it still hasn't clicked, and there's a bit of a musical chairs aspect to it now of late. It just doesn't seem like it's going to magically get better for these last four games here for the Steelers, and they're going to have a line that is going to be capable of moving bodies and have a great rush uh, attack and, and clear a bunch of lanes for Najee. They tried to rebuild the thing on the fly. They were forced to with a bunch of retirements to DeCastro and Pouncey that they might not have seen coming. It might have fallen short this season, maybe not due to the fact that they didn't get enough talent, but maybe just because they're so young. They just have two rookies starting. Yeah. I, so it's interesting to see as they go into this offseason where they invest into that line, if they continue to put faith in Green and more and just hope they continue to develop, if Chooks can get a little bit better, even though he hasn't shown any signs of that, if Dotson can get healthier. It's a work in progress, and I think it's still going to be the number one project heading into this offseason. I think it has to be because at least you have some semblance of pieces on defense. We know the defense has not lived up to expectations similar to the offensive line, but in a different way because there were such high expectations for the defense. They just haven't met those. But for the offensive line, you had no idea what to expect. You and I were able to talk ourselves into saying, Kendrick Green, is he going to be a pro bowler in his first season? Is Kevin Dodson going to reach that Pro Bowl level in his second season, maybe even like a second-team All-Pro? We were doing ourselves no favors by having those conversations. I think now, even though you have 
even though the defense was a disappointment, you still have enough names on the defense where you can say, I think we're okay here to not address these positions in the first or second, maybe even the third round. Offensive line, I think it's very clear. Other than the quarterback. Well, that's the thing. Other than the quarterback, there's there there's a pretty obvious glaring hole as to where you need to patch up. Where they're going to pick, line. too. I don't know if the quarterbacks are still going to be there. I don't think they would be, and... A and then B, I don't know. Even Do you want to bring in a quarterback to play behind this kind of a line? That too, and then B, the guy who could be there for you at your spot. Do you even want to bring him in? So here's the thing: I, I don't think that the guys at the top of this class, which is a weak class, are going to be there when the Steelers end up picking towards the middle of the draft. Probably. It's going to be in the middle, but maybe a little bit higher, maybe like closer 15, to fifteen ish, which is where Mac Jones landed. But Good there point. aren't four guys that are in front of the mm-hmm. Mac Joneses of this class. There's really only two or three guys. So interested to see where they go. Not sure they'll be there. It wouldn't be the worst idea to shore up the offensive line with first-round pick, second-round pick, hell, maybe even a third-round pick. Um, you know what? I, I changed my mind. You can do two offensive okay, linemen there, but you got to pick a defensive lineman in the top three as well. You, yeah, you because need, you see the lack of depth. You need someone year. up there, yeah. And, hey, Cam's getting older. I mean, it wouldn't be the worst idea to start to try to groom a replacement for him and, and have a guy play next to him for a little bit before he has to absolutely take on those reins when 97 does decide to hang it up. So I think O-line, D-line would be a smart way to go about it. You play Mason for a year. You kind of see what you got early in the season. Maybe you can get away with being you know, a run-heavy kind of offense with a lot of Alvin Kamara-esque type of packages that – Rudolph just gets the ball to Harris as fast as possible and lets him do a lot of work, and Deontay's going to develop into a really good wide receiver. I think you're going to have Juju back, too, i got to be honest, because he's probably going to be on the cheap. He's going to be very cheap. There's a lot of good receivers. Well, there's a lot of good receivers that are going to be on the market Mm -hmm. this year, too, and he hasn't had the opportunity to put up any tape. So coming off of that injury, I think he's going to be back in Pittsburgh. It feels like forever since – he went down, right? right. What, I don't even remember what game that happened. Fryermuth will be better. The defense will hopefully be better. Maybe you add a little bit on the interior of your middle linebacking core. And you just roll with Mason and see how it goes. And maybe you're playing well enough to make it into the playoffs. I mean, look at how the playoffs are going this year. I mean, 7-6, seven and 6-7 six, six and seven in the NFC. Like, you can stay alive yeah. just by staying around that 500 mark. And that's something I think Rudolph could do if the team around him is really good. So you do that. And maybe you make the playoffs, and then you kind of have this weird Neil O'Donnell, Tommy Maddox era going where you're a good team with a quarterback question you're mark. You're going to be in the hunt. Or maybe you just don't do well that year with Mason. But guess what that means? Yeah, that means you're up it. towards the top mm-hmm. 15. Maybe you're in the top 10 in a class that supposedly is going to be better at the quarterback position than this one. It wouldn't be the worst-case scenario to just go heavy on the lines, both sides of the ball, shore up some of the the linebacking problems and deal with the quarterback either in free agency Mm -hmm. or down the road in 2023. Tom, I mean, that's just – that's the problem with these hypotheticals is so much can change in a matter of time that you just don't know what's going to happen. I mean, you don't know if the offensive lineman you'll get possibly in in this year's draft is going to be the next Alan Fanica, the next Marquise Pouncey, or is he going to be the next Chooks? Right. I mean, it's 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 really unfair how harshly we judge Kendrick Green, right? He was a third-round pick out of Illinois. 
This wasn't a first-round pick guy out of Ohio State. I agree with that. Or out of Alabama. This wasn't Marquise Pouncey out of Florida. And what? The number... He was the top 15 pick. Top 15, I, believe, I think. Top yeah. 15 or 16 at the time. That wasn't him. And he came in with expectations of being the next Marquise Pouncey. So you just don't know what you're going to get. You can hope that assuming you're going to get that top 15-ish, top 16 pick, that the offensive linemen you'll have available to you then are going to be better than the offensive linemen you had at pick 24 in 2021 when Kevin Colbert and company said, these guys just aren't the guys that we need. And we got to... We, we would rather yeah. pull the trigger and take the risk on going running back in the first round than just taking some guy on the offensive lineman in the first round. So... There's so much that can happen. Is the guy that you're going to get in the first or maybe even also in the second round going to be enough to help a young Mason Rudolph to the point where, oh, my gosh, this team can actually make a run at something? Look at them. They're they're not just in the hunt. They, they, they are an established wildcard team. Or is it going to still be another year yeah. that you're a year away from making the playoffs with this team? And you just don't know. It would and, help, and then, and then sorry, the the quarterback thing is always going to be a topic of discussion when you don't have a quarterback. Of course, right? If you're Buffalo, if you're Kansas City, you don't give a rat's ass about the of about the quarterback conversation coming out of the draft. Yeah, you don't have to do that for decades now. Exactly, you are you are set for a long time. Don't ever worry about it. I'm you nervous know. about us doing it. That's that's what I'm that's what I'm trying to say is. You can say we were in oh, fourth grade to, last time. This you can happened. say you have to target a lineman on the offensive side or defensive side this year and next year. But if the quarterback is there, Tom, if, you throw, you throw. You were saying, I don't want these offensive linemen in the first round last year. I want Najee Harris. Uh, you can amplify that. That times by a thousand, a billion, because yeah. it's a quarterback. If if there's a quarterback there who you you think could help your team. You're not going to take anyone else except for that guy. He can masks he masks a lot of mistakes mm-hmm. and a lot of inefficiencies that your team has. Yeah, I mean, it's the most important position not just in this sport that we're talking about. In it's the most sport. important position in, any, in sport any sport is the quarterback in the NFL. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that works out. Uh quickly before we wrap this up defensively, it's all about just TJ Watt watch this week, right? Like Hold your breath and hope that number 90 is good to go for the Tennessee Not game. Not just good to go. But 100%. 100%. Because as you've pointed out many times, even TJ at less than 100 is just not great. He doesn't get the job done. We saw that against the Packers. We saw that against the Bengals the second go-around against the Bengals when he played at that time. He's just not the same TJ Watt. He doesn't have that same impact in the game. And that's fine. Sometimes players just don't play at a great what, level when they're hurt. you want to be mad at him for playing 11 games and still leading the league in sacks? And trying to play hurt. I mean, I'm not going to be mad at him for trying to push through an still injury. Still leading the league in quarterback hits, still leading the league in strip sacks. Oh, TJ, come on, you're not doing enough. Now. He's having a great season. You just really hold your breath now at this point because I don't think you as a Steeler fan can afford to see number 90 miss Any another game for the rest of the season if and, you want and even come shot, out of a game at all. If you want a legitimate shot at making the playoffs and – there Ooh, is man. that possibility. Let's not let's not kid ourselves. As, but you got to win three as, out of the next as, four. As frustrating as the Minnesota loss was, and as much as it crushed your your hopes in making the playoffs, you're still alive. But you're only alive as long as number ninety is on the field at a hundred percent. 
not missing any snaps unless it's just to take a little breather here and there. You got to win three out of the next four at the very least. I mean, Tom, I think you got to win out. Four out of the next four would probably get you in for sure. But because you're playing AFC East or AFC East, you're playing North. all AFC opponents. Yes. So that helps your conference record. All playoff teams. You're playing all playoff teams to, to knock another team maybe down a peg or two. You're playing AFC North opponents the rest uh, for the not, last not the two weeks, the way, but for the last two weeks in Cleveland and Baltimore. These are every game moving forward is important. Every game is of consequence, and I think Tom, I've been saying it for a couple weeks now, but I think it's at its truest now with Minnesota out of the way. You have every game is a must win moving forward. And but I think that was true about two weeks ago. And that means you got to have TJ Watt if you want to have a shot to win. Sure. Six and two record with him healthy in the lineup. Oh, four and one record with him out or leaving a game early. His impact is undeniable. He is incredibly valuable, probably the most valuable player. Talk on about the value. He needs to be in that conversation for league MVP. He'll be the team MVP, I think. Uh, I think that's. I think be... so. As much as we have loved Cam's performance this year, I bet you Cam would be the first one to say it should be TJ. But it, you talk about value. Yeah, the, the team is different when it's TJ and, and there's and then when there's no TJ. Gotta win out. A tall task ahead of the Pittsburgh Steelers if they want to get into the playoffs, but. Dare I say, it's been done before. That's going to do it for this episode of Steelers Standard. For Jacob Brecht, I'm Tom Offerman. Always appreciate you guys giving us a listen, and we'll talk to you next time.